and welcome back to a Pint of Politics and a Packet of Bacon Fries, Episode 4. I'm Jordan Freeney, I'm here with Evan O'Gorman and I'm completely stealing his intro. It's been a while, the only thing that's changed is I'm now introducing us without any T's pronounced. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good intro, Jordan. I'll, um, I'll definitely have to give you a good rating on Rotten Tomatoes for that one. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's as good as mine, but it's, it's not bad. Look, I've been practicing this for hours. Yeah, it's been a long time since we last sat in front of a microphone. Yeah, exactly. It's been oh, about five, six months or something. Oh, insane. I wouldn't go that far now. Uh, okay, we were, we'll, we'll say four months. Yeah, well, it was just before the, the uh, Eighth Amendment referendum. Yeah, which has since passed, which we predicted. We did predict it as much as I tried to promote as much uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt as possible. Uh, yeah. It did. I think that we uh, we can take some responsibility for that. That I, working out. I think if it wasn't for our intervention, it could have could have failed. It could have failed, yeah. yeah. Failed for everybody. Nobody would have won. <laughs> exactly. Well, we have a few interesting topics for you today. I'm also taking this segment from you. Hey, look, go ahead. Go You're going to be doing all the law segments now and everything. Actually, you just do this bit. All I right, can't do this. <laughs> you can edit that bit out. Don't worry, where man. I, let where the... I pretended to take the reins and... Let the master at work. Yeah, so today we're going to be looking at a few of the biggest topics that are on the minds of the Irish people at the moment. Again, if this is your first time listening, I'd recommend you go back. Just kind of listen to the intros beforehand. Our main point of this podcast is to discuss political and general cultural topical matters that are affecting the lives of Irish people. We were initially, when we started this podcast, what, about maybe seven, eight months ago, we kind of looked at maybe just doing everything to do with politics in the world. But I mean, there's just so much going on. It's just too vague to really try and condense it all down into one podcast, which we try and keep at 60 minutes, but inevitably this will not be 60 minutes long. So we decided to really, we're going to hone in the Irish subjects. We're going to try and make it really digestible for listeners as well, especially maybe for people who wouldn't follow politics, can get confused with all the stats, the laws, everything like that. Just try and make it as easy to understand as possible. And we're always looking for feedback, guys. So if you have any feedback at all, do hit us up with that. So today we are going to be looking at... The housing crisis which is affecting the lives of not only the roughly 10,000 people who are currently homeless in Ireland, but also the activists and politicians involved in that. We are also going to be looking at the mighty Brexit, a topic which is on the lips of every man, woman and child from here to Singapore, uh, and how that's affecting Ireland more importantly. We're going to be looking at a few big uh, elections and referendums that are coming up next month. We are going to be looking at the weird story of the month or the week or however often we're going to do this podcast from now on. It's very hard to describe, but this is a really weird Bi- one we have today. Biannually. Yeah, today we're talking about the Arasic Arab. Higgins Heist is the... The Higgins Heist, yeah, so stay tuned for that. That's a that's a topical one. So look, we'll dive straight in. Again, if, if any of you are really particularly interested, interested in one of the specific subjects we look on or talk about, uh, do hit us up for some more info or just go and research it yourself cause... Yeah, or tell us we're wrong uh, that's the one thing that I'm dying for somebody to come in and challenge us on something because mm. it's dangerous giving especially to opinionated people such as ourselves a free mic with no no filter no filter no um, no liability to well I mean there it. is a big vote coming up in October so we could get sure done for liability. We'll talk sure about that. that more later on. Let's talk about the housing crisis in Ireland. Yeah, so you've been pretty engaged with this, actually. And I know, sorry, in my intro, in my rush to get through everything, I skipped over pretty much everything that has happened in the last few months and what we have been doing, which is probably the least interesting part of the podcast. But while I've been not doing a lot, to be honest, you've been um, quite active with a lot of um, the housing issue that has gone, gone on. 
Yeah, um, yeah, it's something I haven't really been too vocal about per se, but I've been kind of watching it in the background, just kind of seeing what's going on. So look, I'll just give a little bit of background and come to the stats and sort of the, where Ireland is at the moment on it, and then we can kind of dive into the uh, ins and outs. So as I said, the intro, there's roughly 10,000 people currently homeless, uh, depending on who you ask, according to the government, there's a little under 10,000, according to activists, there's a little over 10,000, so well, you can pretty much settle on 10,000. It's, it's a significant enough number to know that it is a, a, a definite problem. There are over 200, I don't know the exact number, so forgive me for that. There are over 200 vacant properties in Dublin at the moment, most of which are private as far as I know. Uh, you can find more on that on the vacant sites register. A group kind of came into the headlines there about a month ago called Take Back the City. They are a group, an umbrella group, as they call themselves, made up of 18 smaller organisations, mainly focusing around kind of social justice and, and sort of a that kind of scene they got together they really sort of got into the news uh earlier on this month when they occupied so basically what they do is they they campaign for 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 homes basically for the homeless and one of their tactics their sort of leading tactics that they occupy private vacant properties around dublin and they're they're in other cities around the country as well and they generally go against court rulings for evictions and things like that. Um, they also obviously campaign for families who are being evicted from uh, emergency accommodation, B&Bs, shelters, things like that. They That incident occurred that got them really in the headlines about a month ago on uh, Frederick Street, where they were evicted by a private security form, firm, uh, which were accompanied by Angarda Shiakana wearing balaclavas. There was a lot of argy-bargy, a lot of lads getting hit with things and punches and people getting thrown about. It's just a real nasty scene, to be honest with you. No one really walked away from it looking very well. That's really sparked up and ignited the whole the whole fire around the current situation. So that's kind of where things are at now. They had a march. Taipac City had a, a big day of demonstration there on Saturday. They had about a thousand people close off O'Connell Street and O'Connell Bridge which obviously got them into the headlines and yeah so that's kind of where it's at at the moment have you been following it at all yeah this is one of these things that i dip in and out of and that's it's probably quite ignorant of me considering it's the biggest issue that we've probably dealt with in the last decade like i find a lot of things interesting and then i i, I find that this tugs on a lot of my morals a lot on what side not what side am i on because i don't think there's two sides in this i think there's Everybody agrees we need to get more houses and it's about how we did it. And I know we've talked about this before. And since then, I guess maybe like a lot of these activist groups and things that I would be reacting to as opposed to sort of, it wouldn't be a news that should be bigger stories. One of our segments anyway, like they, they usually happen and then I hear them and I read them like everybody else does. But like just going back over what you said, a few of the things that you mentioned originally and I, I can feel you looking at me there because this wasn't on our agenda at all but it is only when I'm hearing it again for while we're recording that I'm thinking about it like there's so many issues that distract from the main issue when you think about it like one thing that I got really interested in was the guards in the private security firm wearing the balaclavas and obviously that's a whole other issue that you can go into but it shows the almost shame in Irish society at the moment around this whole issue that these guys didn't want to be seen evicting people. And yes, it was their obligation and their job to, and I think both sides understand that. But the fact that they were wearing these really highlights the embarrassment that Irish society has. One really interesting 
um, segment I heard about was from the head of the Dunleary Council, Ushin Smith. He was quite critical of Owen Murphy's. Now, you, you, you know, you're a lot more familiar with all these. I'm just going to tell you what I heard. Um, with Owen Murphy's handling of the whole situation, that there's this kind of blame game going on at the moment between the government and the local councils and the government say oh we've provided all the resources we've provided any money anything there should be no issues with that i don't see why it's not being why it's not happening and local councillors saying yeah that's great you've said we can have all the money we want but then when we go and ask you can we build here you take months to get back to us when we ask you can we put a new kitchen in here you take months to get back to us and one of the things he highlighted was that he'd been writing for months and months to own murphy um, now, obviously, I have no idea the legitimacy behind all of this. Just saying what I heard, a rumour, but um, he was saying that he'd been writing to Owen Murphy for months and it was only on the day that RT, that um, Owen actually recently went on to RTE that he actually sent a response. And it wasn't even a response to these mess- these letters asking, can we build on this side or inquiries? It was more so condoning of how local community the local councils have been acting essentially in regards to the crisis and how they had been um fulfilling their side of the duty so it didn't really address many of his questions but that just makes me think like is this going in circles like you you're more active than this so what would you think there's movement on this uh, well, I suppose just to confirm as well, just for anybody who wouldn't be that in, uh, interested in politics or follow, Owen Murphy is the Minister for, for Housing. Yeah. For Housing, yeah. So, obviously, he's in the spotlight uh, massively at the moment, and he's a Fine Gael man as well. To be honest with you, it's it, I can kind of really relate to what you're saying about, like, you know, whose side are you on? Obviously, you know, that's the first mistake you can make in any kind of societal debate like this is picking sides. Because once you start picking a side, then you're, you're just going to completely stop looking at things objectively. And you're just going to start blaming everybody else. And it becomes a sort of, well, I'm the victim, you're the baddie. No, you're the baddie, I'm the victim. Yeah, that kind of way? Yeah, I get you. I feel that it, it's something, well, what really interested me about the situation is that there doesn't seem to be, a, a lot of the time when something like this happens, there's a clear solution that is, that's very easily achieved, but that people, something's blocking it from happening. Yeah. Whereas with this situation, it very much seems everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants her not to be homeless people, right? Yeah. That's yeah. a pretty... I mean, you you want to be some really dark Scrooge. person to want people to be homeless, right? So I think if you look at it objectively, every single person who's involved in this debate wants the same thing. Yeah, that's fair. And I think it's a case where... So you have, say, the side who want the government to act on it, and then you have maybe the government and those loyal to the government's views who are very much in the headspace at all. Oh, well, it's what we're doing right now is working. And that these guys are just looking for a problem where there isn't one. I think it's a bit of a kick in the can down the road on behalf of the government. They're coming up with all these solutions. They have these five-year plans. They have these ten-year plans. If you have ten thousand people homeless right now, a five-ten-year plan is just not is just not really an effective solution. Then at the same time, you know, you have the guys who are like the Take Back the City movement. Who I I have to give purely speaking objectively, I have to give them kudos. I mean, they've really made a statement. Whether you agree with what they're doing, so I mean. You can look at it this way, they're occupying private houses that aren't currently occupied. It, it is technically breaking the law, and I know laws have been broken in history to achieve social progress. But generally speaking, if somebody owns a house, they can kind of do what they want with it. It's not really their fault that the government hasn't handled the housing crisis properly. So on that regard, yes, although I don't agree with what they're doing, I have to commend them 
for the fact that they have made raised the issue. They have raised the issue, and I genuinely don't think that had they not done this, it wouldn't be as big a thing, uh, a talking point as it is now. I can't. I can't offer a solution. I there hasn't really been any strong sustainable solutions offered and um, the take back the city guys have a few things that you know it's very much kind of just putting the ball in the park of you know private landlords who really don't really have a responsibility in this this is a issue for the government that the government have to solve to be honest with you the government really owen murphy hasn't really put anything that's sustainable forward to fix it i know you had a thoughts on this that was touching on what we spoke about and i think it was the first episode of this when we were talking about the like density issues and things. yeah like yeah 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 so originally like, when this issue was in its youth to an extent i would have looked into it a lot and i had this theory that a lot of it was to do with the housing height limits and things like that, or building limits and everything and i i, I kind of find it funny because as stubborn as I am, I do tend to go back and look at some of my earlier arguments, especially when it's recorded. Mm-hmm. And God knows if uh, people <laughs> start giving us some feedback, I, I'd figure that my inconsistencies could be highlighted a lot. But one of the issues that I have with my own argument is that regardless of these height limits, uh, I, I, it was one of the excuses I gave. I don't think my opinion now has shifted a lot um, from speaking with people that would be familiar with the issue. We don't need skyscrapers to house our homeless. We need land, which we have plenty of. We have a lot uh, of. I was, one of the one funny arguments someone made with me before was that if you sit on a Lewis or a Dart line, every stop there's a cluster of houses, but in between it's just grass. It's mm. just fields, it's just empty space. And it, that, that was one of the main arguments that got me to change my mind was that all this space is actually there. It doesn't necessarily have to be right in the city centre, but there's certainly land for these people to build. So my opinion has shifted on that. In terms of solutions, then it becomes a whole different issue. How quick can you build a house? I, I don't know. How can, the, can you build enough houses for 10,000 people? Yeah. You know? Um, like one interesting thing that Oshin Smith was saying was that it's slow enough to build a house privately, but to build one publicly... You apply for planning permission. It takes a few months. You apply for the contractors. You have to put it all out for tender. It takes another. There's another process. Then you have to justify everything you're buying. So you have to provide a list of potential door placers. You have to provide a list of potential carpet fitters. Everything. Every fine detail. Every fine detail, and that's good. That like, don't get me wrong. I'm personally a big fan of every decision being scrutinised to make sure that we are using taxpayers' money efficiently and everything like that. But it's it almost feels like there should be an exemption in this case that we need houses and we need them fast and maybe not necessarily houses. One of when studying economics just flash that out there. Uh, one of the big issues is obviously the homeless cycle. So once you become homeless, it's very hard to get back on that ladder. The first step is always the hardest. You don't have an address where you can get job potential offers posted to. You don't have a place to clean yourself, to become respectable. To an extent, obviously, um, there are exceptions. But you very much don't have your own space. Yeah, I mean, without a post address, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's even there's even certain situations involving tax where you can't even properly pay tax if you don't have an address. Yeah. Because, sure, how do they, I mean, how does the tax office find you? Yeah, well, this is it. So there's all these issues that come with having an address. And so maybe I always I always envision, like whenever I try to come up with a solution, 
I keep getting drawn back to this idea of this huge communal centre that fits a thousand people in each one and they all have the same address and they all have a secretary who deals with uh, who's getting who and what and honestly it would be chaos but it's hard to like I, I don't know why like this obviously isn't the solution but it's just almost like this problem is such a huge issue that to solve it in any short term would need something drastic mm. you talk to people as well and everybody's upset about this and you say they say why can't we use this land and why can't we use this land and my 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 kind of cheeky answer is well why don't we use our back garden you know and then they say well why would I have to do it why isn't it the government's and maybe this is where we're going back and forth then because then the government have to go and find their own property I suppose a good example is St Anne's Park which is one of our local yeah. uh, parks there was recently an application to purchase and build I, th- I think no I think it was just to build a load of houses basically on yeah. some of the playing fields there and but the local residents rejected it so I mean, I'm sure if you went up to any of those local residents and asked them, I'm not saying anyone's in the right or wrong here, mm. but I'm sure if you end up to any of those local residents and say, do you think people should be homeless? They're probably going to say no. You correct me if I'm wrong, people of Clontarf and Cleicester, but I would generally assume people would, would say no to that. But yet, an opportunity arises. And look, I know there are so many complications to this and there's so much more detail to it, but the opportunity arises to build houses on these playing fields and it's rejected. <laughs> what, what do we do there then? You know, that's public property or property of the government and and one thing obviously the government I can't remember what it was I think it might have been about a year ago the government brought in a rental increase cap where landlords can only raise the rent every year by a certain percentage I think it's small I think it's maybe 10% okay I could be wrong on that but it is quite low and the idea was that it would it was when the time when it was around the time when rental prices really started to fly up and the idea was that you know It'll cut the head off the snake and it'll stop the rental crisis just becoming absurd. And I kind of thought at the time, oh, that's a that's a pretty good idea, you know, like, that'll, that'll work, surely. And up till now, I hadn't really thought about it. But if someone kind of said to me about it, I was kind of like, yeah, well, you know, it makes sense. I was speaking, I'm not going to name who it was, but I was speaking to a uh, representative from one of the larger estate agencies in Dublin recently. And they told me that although it seemed like a good idea at the time, you have to remember that most landlords are individual people who are renting out the houses to make a profit on it. Because otherwise, why bother doing it in the first place? If you're not going to make a profit on it, then you're probably going to be in negative equity. You're not going to be able to pay the mortgage on it. So why do in the first place? So he said what happened was there was this massive exodus of landlords from the market who when the cap came in they were getting completely screwed over by their rents being so below the market value they just sold the houses so not only were the rents continuing to rise slowly but there were even less rental properties available because nobody wanted to be in the rental game anymore so that's a good example of the government trying to do something to fix it and just making shite of it yeah i guess something you wouldn't even think about and you're going back to your basic supply and demand curve and when you put a cap on it something like that you're tackling the supply as opposed to the demand and when you do something like that when you impact on that like uh, trying trying to avoid getting into hard left versus right mm. economic theories here so um, you have to kind of keep i mean a, a property market has to be attractive for landlords it does yeah and maybe this is where their fundamental policies went wrong where it does seem like a very good-hearted idea that can work, but there's there's issues that go into rent rising, and I'm not justifying rent rising, but yes, there is more money to be made off it now, but there's also higher expenses and mortgage rates that go with this rise. And so if you figure, 
again, I'm trying to be myself. walking. Yeah, on the last if you're, okay. So look, if you're tr- thinking in the long term and you think, right, with all these increases in expenses and with this cap, I'm only going to make 10 grand over 10 years. And you're thinking, if I sell this now with the increase in housing prices, I'm going to have a hundred grand right now. It's only logical. And look, I'm not saying it's right. And, you know, you could argue that, oh, well, everybody should have a moral or social responsibility to house people. I'm not joining either of those sides. I'm just saying that somebody who is originally in the market to make money will go about their way to make money. And that, unfortunately, the reality is that's 99% 99% of landlords they're in the market to make money they nobody buys a house and takes on extra debt for the fun of it you know for the thrill of having because they're charitable the, do you know what I mean yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna be charitable you donate charity you don't yeah and so the majority of, make a loss on it exactly and so the majority of the landlords will be out to make money and then when the option is do I make an instant profit or do I make a prolonged profit they're going to take an instant one hmm. especially when the prolonged one is, is under jeopardy yeah and so again I think this comes back to the issue that we need more houses as opposed to limiting the availability of houses we have at the moment and obviously that was an indirect consequence of the implementation of rent cap now look I, you, you're more familiar than what I am I'm, I'm only saying this on a whim kind of I haven't done a huge amount into the research and the causation of its side effects, but one thing I will say is that it's more evident now than ever that it's not people who are jobless, who are have no money at all that are homeless. It's an issue that... They have the money, but the prices are just... Or they're just so scarce. The resources are so scarce. Exactly. I, I was listening to people on the radio. Again, it's it's not a, an extremely valuable primary source, but listening to people and be like, you saw the picture that went viral a while back of the woman with her three or four or five children in the police station and i think it was telegram station yeah and exactly and i was thinking when reading about it it came to the realization it wasn't that she hadn't called a hostel it wasn't that she hadn't called a charity we she went to this guard station the guards called the local hostel they called the local homeless center everywhere was full it wasn't that she hadn't tried. It wasn't that she couldn't afford a hostel or anything like this. They were full. And I think that's the issue. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, you know, unlike things like the abortion referendum, marriage equality, presidential elections, things like that, it's not something that we're building up to a certain point in. It, yeah. You know, there's no sort of judgment there's no day. Game. There's no judgment day of this. So I suppose it'll be interesting to see what happens. But um, yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll move on because we have taking up a reasonable portion of time yep. talking about that and, and have more. established nothing which, <laughs> is, which is good which is the very the typical Irish way. of our podcast isn't yeah, it yeah, yeah. it's a very Irish way of doing things you have something for me something juicy well not new juice it's like one of those kind of old juicy stories that seems to never go away and it's the again Brexit border issue and it's so I suppose it's just to give a, people aren't following the whole Brexit and Northern Ireland situation in layman's terms obviously you know that UK are leaving Europe. If if you don't know that, then the EU. Sorry, the, everybody the, the says EU. That. my bad, my bad, my bad. Uh, Britain are leaving the EU, and obviously that creates a problem because Northern Ireland technically has to leave with them. Ireland is not leaving with them, and we don't have a hard border. We don't really want a hard border, but obviously there are complications there. So if you want more on that, you can check that out. But Jordan is going to bring you through where Ireland is uh, involved. Yeah. So this is one of these. 
almost impossible situations. Now, I would say impossible, but I'm going to say almost impossible because it is solvable, but it's almost impossible to solve and keep everybody happy, okay? Like, I, we've talked about it in the past how this whole thing comes up that originally we would have had a border and it caused all sorts of problems and the troubles and everything like this and we've come to quite a, a relatively success well no well we've come to a successful compromise over the last 30 years but it's now been thrown into turmoil over the recent events of brexit and i almost feel like over the last year each side of brexit so whether that be theresa may the eu or leo Varadkar, everybody has just spent these three or these last year coming out, giving different ways of saying we will not compromise. A lot of that is because they can't. They'd be looking at a very dodgy election campaign if they did. And so the latest issue now is that we're coming up to the deadline of Brexit. 29th of March, 2019 is Brexit Day. <laughs> Officially. Officially. Now, there is a transitional period for another year up until 31st of December 2020, where I have a feeling that a lot of the issues will be left till then. Um, Kick the can down the road. And it's it's literally going to be something like that. And I feel like Britain, in a way, are hoping, oh, along the way, someone will come along and have another referendum and will say no. And I think that's what the EU is kind of hoping. But just to give you an idea of how difficult this situation is to solve, right? So we have a border that would have historically only had a number of access routes. And then we took it away. We had the Good Friday Agreement. We said, look... If we want peace on the island, we have to make this seamless. And so now we have hundreds of ways of crossing this border. Now, this is obviously very simplified. And that's been grand because then there was this kind of invisible or elephant in the room to an extent where I was, I was interested reading the other day, um, Google Maps has, if you look at a map in Russia you'll see that they own different territory than if you look at a map in Ukraine where it'll say that certain territories are theirs. And it's kind of a similar situation where nobody was like, could say, oh yeah, Northern Ireland is ours. Well, UK technically, but everybody could sort of, could say, right, this is as good as it's going to get for now. And so Brexit comes along and they say, right, we want to have control of our immigration. We want to have control of goods. We want to have all this kind of, we want to reinstate our control over our nation. This is where it becomes impossible to solve because you have three sides, well, two sides. You have the EU and you have the UK or the pro-Brexit side of the UK, we shall say. Within the EU, we have certain rules. All the outside bordering countries of the EU have to have certain immigration controls in place. They can't just let people come into the country. Then everybody has to have free movement once you're an EU citizen and all these etc. things. And then you have pro-Brexit side who want their own immigration controls and they aren't happy with the EU's one. And that's the, that's the big distinguishable factor here is that they aren't happy with the EU's immigration policies. So think about it multiple ways, right? First of all, you have no deal. And what happens in a no deal? Nobody knows, right? This is the, this is the issue, right? So like, what do you do? A no deal Brexit, now technically you have country that's outside of the EU, bordering with a country inside of the EU. That's Northern Ireland and the Republic. Northern Ireland and the Republic. And you can, A, put up a big wall or put up some kind of border, in which case you're treading a very dangerous line 
along the Good Friday Agreement where it was agreed that there would be a seamless border. And yeah, okay, maybe the pro-Brexiteers would be theoretically happy. We've gotten our borders. We now have control. And that's one. So in Monday morning, the wall goes up and pro-Brexiteers theoretically are happy. Now, obviously, there's a lot more complexity into it. So then you have another situation. No deal Brexit and nothing changes. You wake up Monday morning, it's the exact same as Friday evening, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. You know, nothing has changed since the last day. There's no border. And all of a sudden you have pro-Brexiteers who turn around and say, well, what was the point in us voting to leave the EU? If somebody can go from France or Spain or Italy or Greece, they can hop on a plane in the morning, they can land in Cork or Dublin or Shannon or wherever and walk across the border, hop on a ferry and they're in the UK. And so no, the Brexiteers then have no... It's no, to completely defeat the entire purpose of having a referendum. Entire purpose. And then you have the idea of a soft border or something like this where neither side is happy. So you have an invisible border, you have cameras maybe that go across, you have checks, checks something like this, or and then neither side are happy because the EU and the Irish side in particular um, are saying, well, yeah, okay, it's not a seamless border because there is a border there. We still do have cameras, still do have random checks. We still do cross the border and have to pay an extra 10 cent on our oil or something like this that we've crossed. You know, and then you have the pro register say, oh, yeah, this border is a bit useless because by the time we catch anybody on it, they'll be, they'll be in the country already. And so it's one of these impossible situations. And the only way I see it solving or coming to some kind of conclusion is when one side backs down. I honestly think that it's going to be the UK that backed down. I think they have less bargaining chips. Big time. And how that'll play out in the long run, I don't know, but I think we could see Theresa May getting into some awkward decisions to make. Mm. She's had a pretty bad time this week already, so... Yeah. I mean, if this week is anything to judge by, it's... Uh... It's, it's, well, it can really only go up from here. From yeah. Well, you see, a lot of the issues here then is that there's some key players in this. And so who are the key players in this? In terms of, like, this is phase one of the Brexit transition. We're still, this is the early, and this is the thing. They want to get this on the table, get this sorted with, and then we can move on to the easy things to see. Because, like, it's easy to deal with whether the UK charges 10% or 5% on, um, on imports or... You know, these there was also talk, I believe, of having a split time difference between Belfast and Dublin. Yeah, well, this is another thing. And it's almost, I feel like it's one of these issues that conveniently comes up. Okay, and maybe this is this is where everybody puts the tinfoil caps on. If you're listening, wherever you're listening, go get a tinfoil cap now because mm. we're conspiracy theory Jordan is coming on. The man is listening. I think that this is one of those convenient situations where this has been an issue for the last 10 years where everyone said, oh, it's a pain to get up early. It affects our health. The cows don't know what time it is. Oh, everything like this. And we've been doing this for decades. And all of a sudden, now, when this issue is on the table of Brexit, the EU has turned around and said, well, actually, we're going to get rid of this. And it's quite a clever move by the EU because... They said, right, we're going to get rid of this change in time and we're going to be on the same time. And then they say, oh, God, that means the UK are going to be on a different time if they don't agree to this as well. And so all of a sudden you have people that are forcing, they're, they're forcing this divide and saying, oh, look, 
we, we actually didn't need this is just another example of something that is going to be so different if you guys decide to leave us or if you guys decide to do these so it's their way of saying look we still kind of control what you want to do and it's a, it's I, I think it's a, no, a move that would annoy a lot in the UK and maybe push them apart but it is a very clever diplomatic tool because you're saying you're forcing people maybe in Northern Ireland to make a decision wow we really aren't the same anymore are we we are an hour behind where there's a border in between us there's and it's in a sense I, I'd be quite critical of the move mm. uh, for something that is completely unrelated to Brexit I would be com- completely against this idea it, another interesting um, issue as well that's facing especially people in Northern Ireland if you're born in Northern Ireland you have the right to declare as a British citizen an Irish citizen or both if you yep. want and where a problem lies there on top of if you know when Brexit happens regardless of what kind of border situation there is between the Republic and the North if you declare as an Irish citizen well then you're technically an EU citizen yeah so suddenly although if you're born in mainland you have EU citizens in that kind of way so like if you're an EU citizen you've so many rights to other to things in other EU countries but if you're born in Northern Ireland after Brexit what are you if you're an EU citizen well then Brexit hasn't really happened because that means if you're an EU citizen in Northern Ireland because you're born in Northern Ireland, it means other EU citizens can come in there. Well, what I think is going to... Like, how I think this is going to end up is I think Northern Ireland is going to be one of these havens. And you'll find that you have these tax havens like Monaco and things like this. Northern Ireland is going to be one of these havens that I would be very surprised if it didn't get a huge amount of investment over the next 10 years. Because you're going to have an area that will more than likely, despite what Theresa May and the DUP are saying will remain part of the EU customs union if mainland UK don't Northern Ireland will and in this sense it could probably be it could essentially while it is the problem to Brexit it could also be the key to unwind it but it will have this area that's part of the customs union but also part of the UK so you have the two biggest economies which will be then the two biggest players in Europe, the UK and EU, you'll have this little territory that will have the best of both worlds. And this is how I think it will eventually play out. This is my crystal ball prophecy that you're going to have the UK or you're going to have England, Scotland, Wales with their own set of rules, their own borders, everything like this. You're going to have Northern Ireland that will have, will oblige to those rules, but it'll also have more consistency with Europe. It will be the EU's asterisk mark. It'll be, we're, they're not part of us, but they kind of are, but they're also part of the UK. And so we don't have to have a border here. It's an exception to this. And we don't have to have this. It's an exception to that. But it's okay because it was too hard to deal with. Yeah, well, I suppose unlike the housing situation, there is a judgment day on this and that will be next March, yeah. I believe. So it'll be, I can't wait to see what happens, to be honest with you. The cynic in me is looking forward to the <laughs> complete destruction and fallout <laughs> from Brexit. I honestly think that it will get come right down to the wire um, and as dangerous as that is to voters um, and any kind of stakeholder, it will be very late. So, Do you think it will happen, Brexit? Yes. I I think I think it would be No second referendum. I I'd be very surprised. No no, okay. I wouldn't be surprised, but I think it is a very I think it would end Theresa May and the DUP to an extent. Maybe not so much the DUP, but definitely it would have a huge impact on the Tories and how they can keep 
promises. Promises. And like, so one look, we've... Ha- there's one thing about an election promise, but going against a referendum is a pretty bad promise. Yeah, and look, we saw, we saw the Lisbon, the whole oh, Lisbon good, Treaty. Those are good times. That was one of these things, keep ticking the box until you get the right answer. And it could be one of those situations. But I don't think it was, because Brexit, people don't realise this, but the Brexit referendum was one of the highest, or the highest, I think, voter turnout in about 20 years. You know, so like it's not, and and I know people say that individuals were misinformed and voters were misinformed, but misinformation is something that is irregular within votes, and it's something that the onus to me is on the voter to ensure that the information that they're getting is legitimate. If somebody knocks on my door and tells me, "Oh, if you vote for me, I'm going to buy you a yacht down and leave it down in house," I would say, "All right, yeah, that fair." The, that's, that's that's not going to happen. I would say I'd look up this guy and see how much he's worth. I'd say is this actually something? And sure, I'd I'd write it off. You know, same as if people are promising me a new healthcare system and everything like this. I don't think I think you you have to have certain amount of professionals or well voter skepticism when you're making these decisions. But anyway, speaking of votes, we have a huge election coming up on the twenty sixth of October. That. I honestly think that this is just going to be a sweepstake. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a big only one, there, Yeah, I think there's going to be one real winner. and the, like there, There's one obvious winner when you just look at it. And that's... Well, what is it? Uh, yeah, so it is... Obviously, I mean, it's public knowledge. Everybody knows that it's happening. And that is the referendum on whether to remove blasphemy from the Constitution, which happens... We got you! <laughs> we got you. You <laughs> thought a- we were going to say the presidential election, but no, we got you. We got you. That was really good. That was that was so good. We totally didn't plan that for like. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But uh, yeah, most people I've spoken to didn't even know that there is going to be a referendum uh, in October on October twenty sixth, I believe. October twenty sixth. October twenty sixth on blasphemy. So if you're not familiar with blasphemy, it's just basically layman terms again. It's uh, denouncing or saying something offensive or derogatory of. God or religion, but yeah, Jordan so has gonna... a Jordan has a constitutional uh, <laughs> definition right. for it. Yeah, so just hop in there and say it's Article forty point sixty point one underscore I or Roman numerals one as you say, and how it's defined in the Constitution currently. It's the second paragraph of it actually when they're speaking about our free speech and it's kind of this again asterisk where they say the action or offence of speaking sacrilegiously about God or sacred things, profane talk. The publication or utterance of blasphemous, sedacious or indecent matter is an offence which shall be punishable in accordance with law. Jesus. But how is that? Yeah, it, Jesus. it sounds really serious. <laughs> Jesus, that's it. You're done now. But it sounds something really serious. Like this is right under free speech. So we're like, oh, everybody has a right to free speech. And then we have this, but you can't do this. But you can't. So, you, you have to be so careful. So this sounds like a really serious offence. And I think you did a bit of research on this. So what what happens? What um, happens if you if you're blasphemous? Yeah. So uh, basically, now this is very um, this is in the Irish statute book under section thirteen. This is what can happen to you if you are convicted of whatever laws uh, underlying blasphemy. The maximum penalty. This was introduced in nineteen sixty one. The maximum penalty uh, were seven years penal servitude, which is as you defined as. I think it was um, hard labor, prison with hard labor. Yeah, manual labor, which is pretty sure something we got rid of about 150 <laughs> years. Regardless, so yeah, seven years penal servitude, hard labor, or two years imprisonment and a 500 pound fine. Ooh. So you want to be careful next time you use the Lord's name in vain. That's it, yeah. 
It has. As Does this can, happen? Uh, no. Right. People really generally don't end up serving two years imprisonment or seven years penal service. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I've ever, like, heard, re- picked up RT News and saw that so-and-so has picked gone to jail RT for... News. Picked up RT News. <laughs> picked it up picked off up the... Picked up a copy. Yeah. <laughs> so, because you know how, like, big they are in the printing press these yeah. worlds. Yeah. But anyway, so I don't think I've ever picked up a newspaper that has said so and so Billy Joe has gone to Mount Joy for two years for using the Lord's name in vain. So, so bit like Spurs, nothing's really happened on this since eighteen fifty five. They haven't really done anything since eighteen fifty five. Since eighteen fifty five there has been one attempted prosecution. Attempt, not even a No ca- no 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 okay, no. Okay. There hasn't been an, an actual prosecution of this. There's been one attempted and that was in the case of Corway versus independent newspapers. So, a uh, gentleman in 1995, this was during the coverage of the divorce referendum. Okay. Which, it's hard to believe that was only 23 years ago. Basically, John Corway brought a private prosecution against a number of publications, Hot Press, Irish Times and Independent, for cartoons that basically were derogatory or blasphemous, as he said. He brought the high court and he said, and this is an actual quote for him, he said, As one professing and endeavouring to practice the Christian religion through membership of the Roman Catholic Church, I have suffered offence and outrage by reason of the insult, ridicule and contempt shown towards the sacrament of the Eucharist as a result of the publication of the matter complained of herein, and I am aware of other persons having also suffered I'm amazed oh. he got that out in one breath I really struggled this sounds like a vegan on Instagram that's just being offered <laughs> offered a steak or something so yeah uh, Corway's case was not successful uh, he brought it to the Supreme Court and they also uh, it was it was unsuccessful basically throughout Supreme Court kind of came back though with a pretty good statement so just summarising what they said although he although what he is saying is true that this is technically blasphemy and blasphemy is in the constitution it is a contradiction of free speech so can't really be enforced so NA does not apply to yeah basically you got a, you got a big fat NA yeah. <laughs> so yeah so it didn't work out for him and that was the only 10th prosecution since 1855 wow so so why I mean why it exists is, is, is sort of beyond me. Right. Well, place. I, one thing I will say is that, like, uh, when De Valero was drafting the constitution that it did, it was quite pro church, and a lot of people would say that there was an element of that to try and avoid referencing the king at the time or, or the monarchy, but. It seems absurd, and it seems like something like, how is this still here, you know? like, I, I, You know what's really interesting, and I'll try to cut across it, is the stats. So there is actually a poll on this. Interesting, so, I mean, you would assume, right? Yep. Generally, we live in quite a liberal Ireland. Okay. In a very liberal Ireland, really. Yep. Uh, especially if you look at the, the, the likes of the Eighth Referendum. And, yep. Or not the Eighth, Eighth Referendum, Amendment. the Eighth Amendment. Uh, marriage equality, everything like that. Housing crisis, obviously that's quite a... Yep. social progress move forward you'll be quite surprised with these numbers the for people who are in favour of getting rid of this uh, article constitution or repealing it or whatever is only at 54% which is 54 which is really low so, so what did a 46% think so 17% uh, aren't in favour of it they want to keep it okay and then 29% so almost 30% of people don't know you know what that 30% is I'm telling you now that was somebody that like, either called up or went out to O'Connell Street or, or uh, Grafton Street with a clipboard and said 
what's your opinion on the blasphemy referendum? And everyone said, what blasphemy yeah. referendum? That's what that is. Because literally people don't know yeah. it's even happening. So how can you vote on something you don't Well, yeah, look, I'd be very surprised if a lot of them didn't turn pro-yes side. If, yeah. there's, if there is going to be a pro-yes side campaign. Now, obviously, I think you brought up before that this is a good strategy for when they need to hold a referendum. That's Yeah, look. It's pretty insignificant. So when you're having some sort of election or referendum, it's always good for the party in power to have something that passes with a breeze. Okay? If you have something controversial, you want something that is positive because then you can't, nobody can say, oh, well, that was a waste of a referendum. So this is obviously something that needs to be taken out. And it's pro- it was recommended by the um, Constitutional Committee. Because they're holding something else, something smaller, I think, another vote on the yeah, same day. Um, what was it again? Your man, your man is running for it, the guy that... We're actually not funny. It's the, the presidential, presidential election. <laughs> that's what it was. So anyway, so look, that's obviously quite a controversial subject and there'll be parties that will gain a lot and parties that will lose a lot from it. So to throw something in like this, it, it just shows, oh, look, we are making movements with something else and it can kind of stabilise political volatility. It also is going to help for voter turnout because if you held this referendum on its own I would imagine the turnout would be you'd have a 17% turnout you would probably have have. a 17% turnout I mean it would be abysmally low so I suppose if you're getting people to show up for a presidential election sure look just take that extra box there down beside Michael D and And if you get it wrong we'll go and do it again (laughs) we'll do it again anyway so it doesn't really matter we have another 7 years so yeah presidential election that's coming up on the same date it is and most people will have heard about that now so obviously Michael D Higgins are acting president there was a lot of talk before this election was announced that there wasn't even going to be an election they were just he was just going to be <laughs> just going to stay there basically um but in fairness you now a few people spoke up that that's very anti-democratic which you know they have they have a point so now we're having an election on it yeah. and unsurprisingly it's being well contested there are quite a few people who are nominated there yeah. are quite a few people who would like to be nominated who will do well to get nominated <laughs> Not naming any names. But the stats aren't looking great for anybody who is not Michael D. Higgins. Yeah, well, historically, any acting president is an extremely popular... And it's one of those almost Irish phenomenons that an acting president is usually extremely popular. Going back to Douglas Hyde and everybody, like Eamon de Valera, even though he's controversial, extremely popular man. Mary Robinson was probably one of the earliest figures I could find in terms of approval rating. She sat at over 92% on average. Mary McAleese sat at over 80%. So Michael D. Higgins, enormous 70 or 75% approval rating that he has, is almost small compared to what a pre what like other presidents have, but it's still a phenomenal lead mm. to have going into an election. And it's almost one of these ideas that you're probably better off waiting until waiting every 14 years as opposed to seven years to contest an election. Because if you go back to the end of Mary McAleese's term and you look at the 2011 election, Michael D was second place to pretty much a few weeks before and before the whole scandal about Gallagher came out. Mm. Um, scandal that has now The scandal that wasn't been, actually a the scandal. The scandal that has, yeah, since been very... Um, debunked. Debunked. And, but he he sat on 28, 29%, Michael he did D. He pretty well, yeah. Um, no, but that's, that's the percentage he sat on before this, while Gallagher sat on 40%. 
And so everyone saw him as a shoe in But that was at 11%. We're now looking at Akana. You actually have an interesting Yeah, so this is actually really cool. So this is done by the Red Sea, which are a polling agent. What are they? Official? Yeah, they're an independent... I think their their actual phrase is an independent polling agency. They do the stats but, for popularity. Yeah, but for they are politics. reliable. They were one of the more reliable. Yeah, ones, they are pretty good. They're pretty good. Uh, a, they have a really, really interesting graph here, which I will try and post with this podcast because it's actually really cool yeah do do so it has all the the candidates nominated and yet to be nominated and then it also has their popularity overall and their popularity with each party and that's when i say each party it's so for example what sort of grasp or what sort of popularity they have within fina gale voters fina fall voters things like that yeah and so let's do something, right? Okay. A bit of... To, to try and describe this to people, because I know a lot of people won't bother looking at it, right? So I'm going to go through the parties, mm-hmm. and you're going to tell me how people are doing in it. Okay. okay? So, like, who's the surprise candidate, yeah. right? So, we, first of all, we've got... We're, we're just doing the major parties here. We're going to do Fianna Fáil. So Fianna Fáil... So, okay, so just... I suppose it's important to note... Michael D. Higgins is on 67% overall with everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going to be leading most of these, right? So Fianna Fáil, he has a 56% following, which... I mean, that's fairly substantial. Fianna Fáil are starting to make a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, since their uh, blip, shall we say? only 4% behind or Exactly, like yeah. That. So that's obviously a, a very large portion of the votes. Yeah, big time. So the other two that are popular with them are Sean Gallagher and Gavin Duffy, the former Dragon's Den. Okay, so we, they're the main players in every yeah. case. So Fianna Gael, you'd kind of expect similar, no? Fine Gael is similar to the extent that, well, I mean, Michael D is just blown out of the park with Fine Gael. Okay. It's important to note that Michael D is actually a Labour man. Yeah. He's not, yeah. a lot of people assume he's Fine Gael because he's so much Fine Gael support, but he's actually not. But as you can see here, the support is substantial. It's 82% for Fine Gael voters. Wow. Which is pretty substantial. But interestingly enough, well, obviously because 82% of them are supporting Michael D, nobody, re- no Fine Gael voters are really interested in anybody else. So Sean Gallagher. He's sitting on 11% with Fianna Gael. You know, that's, that's fine. Gavin Duffy. The other two who actually have anything are Gavin Duffy and Joan Freeman. Uh, they're both sitting on 3 and 4% respectively. Pretty insignificant, but, you know, still. still I mean, like, like you stat. know, 4% of Fianna Gael supporters is quite a, a lot of people. Yeah, so. definitely a handful. So what about Labour then? Obviously, I assume... Labour, well, all five people who are voting for Labour, Labour in Ireland. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So 67% of those five people are uh, in favour of Michael D. Higgins. 67? 67. But how many was it for Fianna Gael? 82. Wow, so... So uh, uh, the Labour man, Michael D. Higgins, has a substantially <laughs> larger popularity with Fianna Gael, who are kind of an opposite... Well, not an opposition party to Labour, but they don't really see eye to eye on a lot of things. Especially um, after the government. Especially yeah. after the whole... Yeah, that, um, that blip. Anyway. But yeah, so he's only on 67% with Labour. What's interesting enough is that both Sean Gallagher and Gavin Duffy are both on 16% with Labour. that's the jobs they provide or something like that. I don't know. Who knows? So, who do we have? We, uh, Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin is, a, is quite a remarkable one, I have to say. They now, have their own candidate. They do have their own candidate. Leonie Ria. <laughs> Ria. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you can look her up. She's, uh, she's an MEP. As far as I believe. Yeah, since 2014. Yeah, so um, she's a pretty respectable candidate as far as presidential candidates go. What's interesting is her popularity. Now, look, this Red Sea poll was released, I think it was the day before she was actually announced as the Sinn Féin candidate. Okay. So this is basically basically just going off the yet-to-be-announced Sinn Féin candidate. Now, 
unofficially, most people who were in the know knew it was going to be her. But obviously, that's just speculation. You can't say that for sure. Mm. I believe they called it a game changer. Was it when they announced her? Anyway, go on. Sorry. I don't. Well, look, anyway, look, it's, it's speculation. It's a theory. Now, this is before it was her, so I, I don't have the updated stats. So I apologise. You can find those. I'm sure they exist. She had 46% of the Sinn Féin votes. Um, well... Sorry, the Sinn Féin candidate, the unnamed Sinn Féin candidate, had 46% of the Sinn Féin approval, okay? The other uh, substantially large chunk of the Sinn Féin approval, 43%, was going to... Michael D. Michael D. Higgins. No way. So, almost on par. If we assume that nobody who votes Sinn Féin knew she was going to be the okay. runner. Yeah. Nobody had a clue who it was going to be. They were literally just voting for whoever was going to be the candidate, right? They were indifferent. There was it? only a, th- a 3% difference. So three to their own candidate. To their own candidate, yeah. They had almost the same amount of support. That's Michael insane. Now um, I wonder. I'd love to see that once it's been updated. But that, to me, that seems ludicrous. That, yeah. Yeah, it's. it's I, I quite, don't know what to say. It is quite uh, spectacular. And then you know the the remainder of that um, whatever eleven percent I think it is. Uh, Sean Gallagher is five. Uh, John Freeman is two. Gavin Duffy has one. And surprisingly. A very large portion of Gemma O'Doherty's 1% approval is in Sinn Féin with 3%. Wow. So 3% of Sinners have a thing for Gemma, who isn't nominated yet. Interesting. That's a lot of food for thought there. I don't know. It like... is, yeah. And then, I suppose, just to kind of round it up, we have the independent. So people who vote independent generally are looking at Michael Lee with 60%. 20% of them, however, are looking at Sean Gallagher. So that's obviously, he has a strong base with the yeah. independents. 10% Gavin Duffy, 3 John Freeman, 4 Peter Casey, and another 3% for Gemma O'Doherty. So the Shinners and the Independents like Gemma, so hopefully if she manages to get herself a nomination, uh, she will be in with a running. So what do you think? What's your prediction? Who's winning it? I mean... Who's the underdog? I think the underdog... I think the underdog could be Joan Freeman. A okay. lot of people like her. I think... I don't want to count Gavin Duffy as an underdog because I think he is more popular than people make out Sean Gallagher obviously is technically the closest in line with yeah. Michael D you know he's still what th- more than 30% off really I mean even if Gemma O'Doherty I think it'll be a success for Gemma O'Doherty's campaign if she even gets nominated is she nominated at this no. stage no no how does she plan on <laughs> okay <laughs> I will be flabbergasted it's not a word I use very often if she okay. gets nominated. That will be a win for her in my eyes. I think you'd be foolish not to say that Michael D is going to run away with it. Yeah. Again, I'm going to say Sean Gallagher is my underdog. I know he's the second favourite, but I think you're going to see big movements in him now over the next month. I think I think the three, three dragons have to sort themselves out and either make a TV show out of this or two of them drop out. Because I, I, I personally, I think that they'd be splitting each other's votes it, purely by association of Dragon's Den, if nothing else. Like, honestly, for me, I mean, it just seems like it's... They're almost just using this knowing they're not going to beat Michael D. Higgins as some sort of platform to launch a book or something, maybe yeah. an autobiography. Yeah. Because, to be honest with you, oh, I really... I just don't know why you'd bother. Yeah, fair. So, speaking more on the topic of the Eros, there was a, an incident... That occurred last week. This is hilarious. I, I really think, Irish. I almost admire this, okay, right? I know that's a dangerous way to say it, but this seems clever. So stupid, it's clever. It's one of these things. Do you ever... Um, it's uh, like Donald Simpsons Trump's movie. entire... Do you remember the Simpsons movie and, and Chief Wiggum's like, it's foolproof, and then somebody, like, because there's barricades, so you can't drive down to the lake, so instead they walk down to the lake or something like that. It's... 
it's one of those things that it's just Oroctus security is probably so Aras Aras is so foolproof that something so simple is probably a genius idea. They're kinda <laughs> overthinking it so yes, much. Exactly. They're thinking so much outside the box so, that the inside of the box is just left completely open and exposed. So what happened? What actually So basically a woman who uh, is a housing activist, unnamed, she drove into the driveway of Aris Neutron, the president's yep. residency. Drove through, past security, no problem, let her in. Yeah, absolutely. So she drove up the front driveway and she parked her car. And she got out of her car. And she walked up the pathway up to the front door. And she proceeded to walk straight through the front door, completely unchallenged. This was this was totally fine, yeah. And uh, upon entering the building, she found her way to President My- the President of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins. This woman found her way, completely unchallenged to him. And in fairness, she didn't attack him. I, as far as I know, she wasn't threatening anyway. She just wanted to have a chat with him about the housing crisis. And that's as far as I know. So, I mean, talk about lack of security. Is it though? Or is it, this is what I'm trying to get at. Is this genius, right? So, uh, first of all, I want to know, did her what did her car look like? Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you had like a black car or kind of some black saloon car with tinted windows you could probably drive up and look like you're a part of security or media or some kind of importance. And then if you just get out of that car and walk through the door, it's like trying to get in a nightclub. You almost have a better chance of walking into a nightclub than if you stop to give them your ID because if you act apart, you, you get through it. It's, I, I watched this, there's these um, guys on YouTube, I can't remember them, and they travel all around the world just playing on um, human error. People's to, assumption. Yeah, to get into these places. So they'd have like your favourite thing, wearing the high-vis vest and a, and a clipboard, and they'd walk into, they'd walk up to Disneyland and say, oh, I'm the roller coaster inspector. Sure, who's the guy at the front desk to say, Oh, this isn't the roller coaster? Yeah, the guy minimum wage is there a week. And so, you have this situation where you're probably getting a lot of visitors into this place, and somebody pulls up and they say, I'm here to see the president. Who are you to say, Like, I don't know, like, are you going to be up on who's the ambassador of, of, I don't know, Switzerland today? Mm. It could be them, it could be anybody, you know. So, like, maybe in this, in some way, it's genius. What's really interesting is what happened after this. Okay. So, about two minutes after she uh, confronted Michael D. Higgins. Uh, confronted's the wrong word. She found Michael D. Higgins. Security and Gardy were on the scene immediately. Uh, well, two minutes later. And you would assume, although she wasn't threatening, she wasn't violent, there would probably have to be some sort of an arrest or just something would happen. Because, I mean, like that could have been anybody <laughs> doing that, right? So she was escorted off the premises. I don't know what was said to her or any sort of conversation between her and the security, but she was allowed back into her car and allowed to drive off free of charge or prosecution. <laughs> Just go home there now, you'll be grand. <laughs> don't do it again now or we'll be looking out for you. Oh, wow. That is, that's amazing. Imagine so somebody Irish. doing that to Donald Trump or... I mean, like people, you see people, stories of people like hopping the gate in the White House, which is, I think it's like 500 metres from the actual, yeah. any sort of uh, infrastructure and they're shot at. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the most Irish sort of oh, just. I just don't want to do this today. Just go home. <laughs> I know I'm gonna be in trouble for you being here. So why don't you just go home? Just, everyone just and then, leave it. It's his grand. No one was hurt. Exactly. 
<laughs> all's well that ends well, huh? All's well that ends well. And I think all's well that ends well this episode four. Yeah. Of a point of politics. Is this something you want to touch on? Or? No, I don't think so. I think that was a good episode of our weekly, biannually podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we've had four in 2018 this already. Is four episodes, right? I, during the, like, during the off, the off season of point of politics, this is season two now. Yeah. <laughs> no. But during the off season, um, I remember, like, I was looking into things, like, how to make a good podcast, how to, and I feel like we go against everything you're supposed to do. Oh, absolutely. So it's like, make regular content. No. Record it in a proper setup. Make sure there's no echoes. Make sure you have mics. And I think, if there's one thing we consistently have, is echoes and noise. Echoes and background noise. Paper rustling, chairs creaking. You gotta promote the thing. And I think I maybe posted on Facebook about 10 minutes after you put it up. And that's that's. We're gonna promote the shit out of this one. This is it. <laughs> Wherever you are, we will. We're find gonna you. get you. Like we're gonna force you to listen to this. I'm actually gonna cut this up and cut out. E- well, I'm gonna po- We're gonna post it normally yeah. in a, in its entirety on SoundCloud and iTunes wherever you want it. But I'm also gonna cut up each section. So each topic we talk on, I'm gonna cut that up, and uh, Make I a know, bit more bearable. Yeah, maybe more bearable. Like you know, 10, 15, 20 minute like segments. Yeah. So you know, it's just easier than having to listen to the whole thing uh, at once. Again, look, we rely on feedback to make this better. If you think this is absolute diabolical shit, please tell us and tell us why, more importantly, so we can do something about it. Because that's the most important part. I feel like we need like some sort of reward for somebody that like... Not that we can afford a reward, sorry. Don't, but disclaimer, don't expect You're any not reward. reward. But maybe we We like, might send someone a letter. Yes. Yeah, we should send An official point. You know what we need? Can we, we could, get a, a, We need to make a letterhead. Mm-hmm. Right? Or a stamp. Do you know what we do? We get a pint of Guinness and we let it spill a little bit and use the ring on the bottom of the pint. I love it. Like As... an old-fashioned stamp. Oh, my This is perfect. God. So if you want one of those... <laughs> if you want one of those... <laughs> Nobody's going to comment now. No, no, they will. Any chance you want we had of anybody coming. Um, give us some feedback and we'll get back in touch. Thank you for your feedback. It can be anything at all. Uh, it can. Be, you can tell us we're great because obviously we are... Um, and then we'll arrange for a very official letter to be sent to your address. The um, first letter from Point of Politics. The first ever letter, and we will make it. We'll number every one of them so I you know it. which one we yeah. can get. And we can send one to Michael D and hand deliver it to him as well. We will. Yeah, just walk in, just hand deliver it to him. Yeah. So what what have we got going forward? I think one of the big things is that hopefully, theoretically, the next episode is going to be filmed. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, so um, we're going to get some cameras and learn how to get all that going and you can see how bad our setup is. Oh, this will be judges. good, man. I'm a, I'm a videographer. If you're looking for work, do text me. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I, I, I'm confident that it'll look good. We're going to have to get our hair done. I'm going to have to yeah. shave. This is one thing, right? So we were originally going to record this one and we decided that it wasn't really the right time or we weren't really repair, prepared. But I was almost panicking yesterday. Like, what am I going to wear? What are people going to respect my opinion on? Now I show up in almost my pyjamas to mm. these things, which is great. But we're going to have to actually make an effort, get the hair cut, shaved. Ideally, what we would love to do is record this in a pub, not in a pub that's like there's customers and there's noise and things like that. We'd love to just have it in an empty pub. We can do it like six o'clock in the morning. We're happy to do yeah. that. If you know anybody, if you work in a pub, if you own a pub, if anybody knows somebody who would host us, we'll do everything we can to promote it. Obviously, if we're going to be videoing it then, it's going to be even better. I just think that would really fit in with the with Yeah, the whole definitely. Vibe. I think it's something we need to do. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit cheesy if we show up a pint of politics. The whole idea is that we're talking over a pint and then 
we we're show sitting in some state of the art studio. Yeah, the, exactly. In our state of the art studio that yeah. we totally have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, I think we want a guest, don't we? Eventually, whenever we so, yeah. so if you're particularly passionate about something, we need to find. Yeah. So what we're gonna I'd like do, somebody that didn't agree with us. Mm-hmm. So likely, I mean, somebody. Yeah. So we either need someone who doesn't agree with us. Or else, and or someone who is really knowledgeable and knowledgeable on a certain subject. Um, so you know, we don't just want someone on here who's just going to start shouting, ranting, roaring about something, uh, without any sort of evidence or any sort of like data to back it yeah, up. Yeah, people with tinfoil hats, you know. Yeah, Because exactly. we never do that. No, no, no not, <laughs> us, not us. We're all very uh, thorough. So yeah, if you are or you know somebody who has a particular interest in a certain subject and is well educated in it, uh, do also get in touch. So thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here, Evan. Uh, no problem at all. An hour 15 uh, and counting. It's not the worst. It's doable. It's definitely doable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Listen to us at the gym. And we will work. try and get one back out to you as soon as possible. Videoed. Videoed. So that's going to be pretty cool. So you get to see our faces. Apply a name to the face. Jordan, thank you very much. Today we have looked at the housing crisis that has taken our country by storm. We have looked at how Ireland stands in the Brexit negotiations. We've looked at blasphemy and all the things that come with that. Michael D. Higgins and the presidential election and the great Higgins heist of 2018. God help you with that one. God help you with that one.